0: Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hello! With us via the magic of the internet, all the way from Mercury Tennessee is Lee Younger. Yes, I'm here. Indeed. We've got a great show lined up. we got some of your amazing questions. But first, I think it's a good time to stop down and declare an emergency that I think Whoa. we're going to give our regular check-in for, Hey Christians, how you guys doing? <laughs> oh. oh my! so as will'll come up later in the show uh, uh mounting scandals and uh from a church standpoint and political whatnot and uh, people losing their grip on power and um let's check in on the let's check in on the folks and see how things are going couple quick story, couple quick stories we're gonna running with here i I read from the daily dot um Yes, get them where it will really hurt. Pastor's wild rant inspires TikTok challenge of reporting churches to the IRS. Wow, this is uh, a gen- based on a gentleman we've mentioned before, uh, out of uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Greg Locke. Of course, um, who uh, you may remember him as the one who who knew there were witches in the crowd and oh, yes. <laughs> knew the names of the witches because they were in his wife's Bible study, which was a weird detail he skipped over. And, you know, it was with the witches and all that. So uh, he he made a thing. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Ah, the challenge is partly inspired by a wild tangent by a pastor in Tennessee. I'm going to do the accent, and we often can't do accents on this show, but I can make fun of someone from Tennessee's accent, and it can't be racist. There you go. And that's exciting for us all. Eh. Yeah. If you vote Democrat, I don't even want you around this church. Greg Locke of Global Vision Baptist Church ranted at a recent service. You can get out. You can get out, you demon. You can get out, you baby butcher and election thief. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. I don't care how mad that makes you. I don't think it makes anyone in your crowd mad, Greg. That's kind of the audience you've cultivated. (laughs) You can get as pissed off as you want. Oh, Baptist preacher saying pissed from the pulpit. That's actually something. You cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat in this nation. Now, fairly standard rant from these level of nut bars. The problem is, um, Jed, you are the president of a 501c3 tax-exempt
1: corporation. I have been known to be.
0: What's the one thing you're actually not allowed to do as a 501c3 tax-exempt corporation from a political standpoint?
1: They do frown on you telling people how to vote. That's a bit of a no-no. There's a huge
0: cutout for you can talk about issues. You can recommend things. The thing you can't do is recommend one candidate, or in this case, party of candidates, over another.
1: Bit of a no-no.
0: So, um, you know who else knows that and has a lot of free time (laughs) is the people who make TikTok content.
1: (laughs)
2: Oh, man. I'm so glad you bring this up, Matt. For one thing, um, I, I, I got on the TikTok because of my teenage daughter's. Sending sure. me funny TikToks, and uh, and and uh, they they were like, "Yeah, Dad, you can learn all kinds of cool stuff." I, I recently uh, was uh, I was recently given an espresso machine, oh. which is very fancy, and I learned all kind. I've learned all kinds of things that I can do with the espresso machine via the TikToks because yep. these people just create things and teach you how to do stuff. It's amazing. Pretty awesome. But my my TikTok. For you, Paige, is mainly at this point, it's mainly people uh, very slowly making uh, teapots on a ceramic spinning wheel and and latte art, but the one thing I know is whatever you do in this world, do not upset the content creators of the TikTok, because these people will wear you out.
0: Yeah, we, we've mentioned before on the show, um, TikTok is kind of the first social media that was created for the generation that was raised with social media. And yeah. you don't want any part of the TikTok teens, man. No. I don't care what you've experienced and you know, I've I was a firefighter and I you once once it's on once it's on a phone, you have no you have no defenses against the TikTok teens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And to that point, a complaint filed with the IRS states that he called Democrats and Republicans two heads of the same snake, and that my loyalty is not to a party, my loyalty is to the kingdom of God, them bunch of crooked, pedophile, sex-trafficking Republicans out to be exposed and done away with as well. When that is your defense, to (laughs) the Internal Revenue Service, he couldn't get out one sentence to the IRS without talking about the two-headed snake. Yeah. You, Greg, you're not cut out for this. No. <laughs> As uh, one of my favorite phrases we, we've internally banded about based on a very funny Twitter, thread. you do not have the cholesterol for this particular interaction, <laughs> Greg.
1: <laughs> Greg, I hate to have to be the one to tell you, but uh, property taxes are high. And property taxes in Nashville are real, real high. Yeah. But you're going to discover that real soon.
0: Yes, he will, because in a fantastic instance of you can't fire me, I quit kind of thinking, he has announced, who knows if it's true, but Greg Locke has announced that he is renouncing his 501c3 status. Mm. Yeah, you you know who doesn't care if you uh,
2: berate them and tell them to get out? The IRS. (laughs) (laughs) You know who doesn't care if you call them
0: demons? The IRS. You know how many times your average IRS call center worker has been called a demon? <laughs> that rolls off their back.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can call them a witch. You can call them a demon. You can tell them to get out. They just, uh, that doesn't even ruffle the tie, I don't think. I, I think they just uh, keep right on filling out the paperwork.
0: Yeah, uh, to quote uh pastor seems like a strong word, this raving lunatic. Quote, IRS, we don't need your stupid tax-exempt status. You can put it in a bag and burn it in front in the front yard for all we care. I renounce <laughs> 501c3 communism in this church. This brings up a <laughs> lot of great again. questions. Uh, there's <laughs> the ever-present with a lot of uh, people of his ilk. What do you think communism is? So right. apparently you think a, t- a tax-exempt code for uh, faith-based organizations in the American tax law is communism, which is there's a lot going on there. The other thing is... What do you think tax exempt status is that it can be put in a bag and burned?
2: <laughs> I think he's confusing that with an Adam Sandler movie from the '90s.
0: Well, that's true. Yeah, I I would like if he was making that elaborate a reference, but we we have no yes evidence that he's capable of that, and we have plenty of evidence that he just kind of is missing whatever higher brain function stops the rest of us from having a thought and being like, those words don't make sense. I won't say it out loud. <laughs> so, uh, we all look forward to reading, uh, later when financial records come out that, uh, he in no way, shape or form dissolved his tax exempt status. Uh, if you, if there's a place in the world that'll let you take a bet on that, I certainly would <laughs> because let's be honest, that's, yeah. there's no way that's going to happen. Um, we, so in another uh, story from the world of, hey, how, how are we doing with embracing these changes that uh, could, could result from things and could lead to things that the Christians claim to like, like accountability and uh, confession? Mm. Humility. Humility, the cleansing uh, experience of accepting forgiveness for your wrongs. Let's turn to the date religionnews.com. Uh, Southern Baptist Convention leader wards that trying to prevent abuse will "quote destroy the mission." Uh
1: oh, what what is the mission exactly
0: for the Southern Baptist Convention to continue to raise lots of money? Probably
1: <laughs> that's not really much of a mission.
0: Well, it's kind of the only one they've got left. <laughs> Here's a quote uh, from this gentleman. Again, I use the term incredibly loosely. Joe Knott, a North Carolina attorney and long-time Southern Baptist Convention executive committee member. Mm. I guarantee you women and children are going to be victimized no matter how much, and that is going to make us potentially targets of great class action lawsuits, which could be the end of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, uh-huh. in, in that sentence, he mentions two things happening, um, one of which he seems to find uh, neutral, and one of which he seems to find bad. Now, I personally find one of them very bad, and that would be the continuing victimization of women and children. And one of them, very good, and that is the phrase, the end of the Southern Baptist Convention. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For those of you who are old enough to remember classic Simpsons, it's the scene where Lionel Hutt says, can you imagine a world without lawyers? And then his thought bubble is people of all different nations holding hands while there's a rainbow in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, can you imagine a world without the SBC? Ah, oh.
2: and there was much rejoicing.
0: That's wonderful. <laughs> but apparently we, we can't let that happen. So, uh, yeah, this, a bunch of these geniuses said that, uh, my, one of my favorite things not's comment were met with friendly, but firm rebuke. I don't know what that is by California pastor, Roland Slade. Which sounds like the name of a character that Steven Seagal would have played in the late nineties.
1: Yep, totally.
0: Uh, I this isn't in the uh, the copy, but I assume it's in a parenthetical. A a friendly but firm review by California Pastor Roland Slade, who was the only person remembering that all these meetings were being recorded. (laughs) Who said that one victim of abuse is too many? Correct, Roland. Yes. Not. I don't know what's in another person's heart. The fact that you're still the uh chair of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee makes me wonder how much you believe that because we're currently way over 1.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like by the hundreds. And and of course the the thing is you know, we we always try to make this emergency section of the podcast fun, but like if you tried to give them every single benefit of the doubt which you shouldn't these people should not be given any benefit of the doubt but like let's say that you meant by the mission what you say the mission is even if the thing that you say is the mission is the mission um if the mission is in any way uh, spreading the news of Jesus to anybody, uh, the love of God, um, the the heart of God, the justice of of the heart of God, any of that stuff, any of those things. If this is happening in your organization, the best way to keep that mission going is to burn your organization to the ground. Yeah.
0: Yes, figuratively or literally. First try one, then try the other.
1: Right. Could you put it in a bag and put it out front of Greg Locke's church and set it on fire? Because he's really <laughs> into that. <laughs>
0: there we go. There we go. Now that's an, that would be another interesting switcheroo because we're all used to, because these, these uh, conservative uh, whack jobs and I'm, you know, I use that term because it's accurate. Um, They love, (laughs) you know, the, the big display of the book burning with, you know, the Harry Potter or the anti-racist baby or going back to the Beatles or whatever, just a giant pile of everything lifeway sells. Oh, and just set it on a bonfire. And that's not going to get you one millionth of the way towards making reparations towards, you, towards what you've done, but at least it would be entertaining and maybe uh, point out that eh, maybe they're serious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask just because, you know, there are all these Christian movies, right? There's your, your pure flicks and your praise TV and your God tube. And I recognize I'm not the, the target audience on any of that.
0: What about for k films?
1: Well, I mean, for Caleb films, I would, I would consider it because it's safe for the ears in the back seat. And I'm on record as that being important to me. Uh, but you mentioned Reverend Rowland Slade, which definitely does sound like a character Steven Seagal played in the, in the mid nineties. And I'm trying to figure out why we have not had a movie where terrorists attack a church. And it turns out the pastor is a former Navy seal. Why oh is that gosh. not on pure flicks right now? Cause I gotta be honest. I would consider watching that movie. I wouldn't, but I would consider it. This is the thing, Jed. Every time we
2: say something like this, one of our listeners finds it. <laughs> they find yeah. it. They find that it's already a thing. It doesn't matter how wide we swing, how wildly we swing the bat. Somebody finds that some Christian has done that thing. And I guarantee you that many, many, many Christians have fantasized about that thing.
1: Yeah, I'm just envisioning Pastor Rowland Slade. He has a ponytail. He has a past that he doesn't much like to talk about, but he does frequently reference his black belt in Aikido. Yeah.
0: They're the most deadly of pushing base martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't found any. I, I Googled the phrase movie Pastor Fights Off Terrorists and don't have anything. So that's good. I, I do think that the the main problem would be is there a way that christians making that movie don't make the said terrorists the most racist thing ever put on film
1: oh, oh wow. we already know the answer to that
0: like somehow you know how hollywood does that thing where it's like the the bad guys are of totally nondescript n- national origin like yeah. i think in the new top gun movie like there's no flags on like the enemy planes just cuz they were like Maybe it should be China. Oh no, we really want to sell this movie to China. Um, it's yep. nobody.
1: Yeah. Yep. Which is fine. <laughs>
0: that that's as it should be. Maybe we shouldn't be starting international conflict via uh Department of Defense funded propaganda movies. That's cool. But I think the Christians would somehow try to do that, but end up like, this is racist against Middle Easterners and Russians?
1: How did they do it?
0: Your goal was like he's neither these people aren't Middle East or Russian, but like it's really racist against both. You doubled up somehow. <laughs> well, the movie I would pitch off off the conversation we're having is kind of a, a good old, um, this is, um, this is gonna be really reference the, the Charles Bronson, like death wish movies. Oh yeah. And there's, there's a new strain of those, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's every other movie, you know, it's the guy who he's just out of the the military or the police wherever. whatever. And he just, he just wants to be left alone. It's the Rambo model, you know, and people yeah, ask yeah, yeah. him and he, uh, you know, he has to. Be the, he has to you know go back to his old ways. The movie of someone wreaking horrible revenge on high level denominational church leadership. Oh, for what they let happen. Wow! Oh, dude, I mean, right? Like, wow, yeah. a nice female fronted action movie, like kind Thank of you, girl dude. with a dragon tattoo style.
2: Yeah, oh my gosh, this summer, Runa Mari is Prayer Wish. There it is. Now I don't even want to do the episode. All I'm going to think about is that movie now. Wow.
0: You know, we we mentioned a lot of crazy ideas for movies on this show. And, you know, it's it's fun. It's a great way to go. Please, for the love of all this holy, somebody make this movie.
2: Prayer wish. That's right.
0: <laughs> Just give me a nice, you know, a Ro- a Rooney Mara, Scarlett Johansson. Maybe go a little older. Charlize Theron.
1: Yeah, And yeah. just
0: absolutely 90 minutes of dude gives some jackass message about complementarianism <laughs> or whatever and looks down <laughs> at his pulpit and there's just a knife with a note stuck to it.
1: <laughs> okay. So in uh, the Mad Max movie, uh, if they're on, I believe the character name was Furiosa, which so. is, it's a great character name. and It's a good movie. Uh, my opening bid is Holy Oh, wow, dude, we can do better, but that's where I'm starting.
2: I mean, the, the potential for the one, like for the action movie, one liners on
0: this are literally endless.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of, cause you got to spend the church language back on it. So there's a lot of accountability. Classic. Say your prayers.
1: Yeah. Oh, dude, dude, the cutscene. this is in the trailer, the cutscene. either she could be screwing a suppressor onto a handgun or knife on a whetstone, doesn't matter. Either way. And the line is, I'm about to teach these reformed theologians about the total depravity of woman.
0: Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, also in in the in the modern movie uh, trailer sense, just the number of like. Hymns that you just do in a kind of Trent Reznor minor key <laughs> as she's preparing to like go do battle. I also
2: like the idea of you know of the guy that like the the you know the the pastor he's he's seeking you know he he's he thinks he's locked himself in the church. He thinks he thinks he thinks nobody's there, but he's he's very nervous and he's and he's like like, his hand's trembling as he's reading over the scripture about, you know, in First Timothy or whatever of, I don't allow a woman to, to speak or have authority over a man in church. And then she just shows up and goes, shh,
1: and then just <laughs> takes him
2: out. I mean, she's like, don't worry, I won't say a word.
1: <laughs> and the song that plays, oh, I've got it, I've got it. This is a throwback to my youth. It's the minor key Atticus Ross Trent Reznor version of In the Secret. Oh, the children's quiet, on. singing yeah. in the secret, in the quiet place. Come on, oh, baby. That's a hit. That's a pure <laughs> flicks hit. Greenlight
0: it. Greenlight it. To build on that, just to take it that movie nerd angle, I think as she goes after the different denominational leaders, the song has to change. <laughs> so that one for the Methodist, you get a nice mighty fortress for uh, for the Baptist ones. Like yeah. yeah. This is a movie right here. Also, I oh, think man. the trailer cuts on like, you know, it's, it's the terrified guy clinging to his version of John Piper says women are dumb or what, I don't know, whatever the book's called. And it's like, and then it's just <laughs> this quiet moment and you just hear a voice go, your sins will find you out. Yes. Oh! Number chapter
2: eight. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that may oh, be gosh. the first legitimately good movie we've pitched on this show. And I'm going to be angry if someone doesn't make that. I'd watch wow. it. I feel, like, I feel like to bring things together, I feel like you do that. You do some marketing on Exvangelical evangelical TikTok. I feel like you have got a go picture. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're welcome, Hollywood, for once. I may, wow. You can find a way to make it a Captain Marvel movie if you need to. I don't know what it takes to get a movie made now.
1: Well, I think in order to link it into the Marvel MCU, all you got to do is, like, at the very end, Hawkeye just walks in for no reason. So then you're done. It's it's tied in.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jacked Natalie Portman just comes in and punches some dude's head off his shoulders. Be like, it's in the Thor universe now. (laughs) Well, again, once again, Kevin Feige and the rest of Hollywood, you're welcome. Uh, It took us 523 episodes, but we pitched a legitimately good movie. (laughs) But again, I'm going to be deeply annoyed that no one, if no one makes that. So we will declare on that note, emergency off, but cinematic greatness, possibly on. Ooh. Possibly on. Yeah. I'm going to move on to your questions here. If you have this all the way the end, I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down to your episode description, find your links there. Our first question comes in and says, I've heard you guys say no is a powerful word, but I was taught to try to be helpful to people and to be open to opportunities. How does no fit into that? And a a very cool question, and and we love the follow-ups on kind of uh, themes that have come up on the show over the years. And, And Jed, where would we start off with this idea of no as a powerful word?
1: It's a great question. It is a powerful word. I think that we want to start by maybe setting some left and right limits. So bottom line, you are not going to be able to say yes to every request and every possibility that comes your way. And uh, this is probably more true today than it ever has been in human history for a couple of reasons. The first is every advertisement that you see, every promotional message that you run across is presenting to you an opportunity. It's asking you to say yes to something. Every ad that you see is asking you to say yes to something. And fairly similarly, if you're ever on social media, and why would you be? Because that's a terrible place to be. But. (laughs) <laughs> if you're ever on social media, no matter the platform, every post that you see is an invitation. It is someone asking you to say yes and to give them your time and your focus, even if it's only for a few seconds. So we're going to land on a place where you, you do not have the capacity to say yes to every request, to every possibility, to every invitation that comes your way. The other thing that we need to acknowledge in the spirit of left and right limits is the idea of opportunity cost. This is a phrase that comes from economics, but it's a really simple idea. When you go to dinner and you order the trout, you're not ordering literally everything else on the menu. When you go to the library and you pick up a book to read, you're not reading every other book at the library. And so- Every yes that you say, in a sense, is kind of an infinite number of no's because there's this opportunity cost element. So you're going to be saying no a lot, and you can't say yes all the time because you you literally do not have the the bandwidth for that. So what do we do here? What we want to do is we want to say yes in a way that reflects your values. Mm -hmm. And that really points to maybe the bigger thing here is you being in control of your own life. If you don't decide when to say yes and no, other people are going to kind of be saying yes and no for you. And that's actually not a good way to live. We we want you to be in control of your own life. We want you to to have and exercise your own sense of agency. And so the really best way, I think, to do that generally is to think clearly about what are your values? What's important to you? What are the things that you care about? And that's not just super, super big picture stuff like, you know, I, I value that I have a relationship with God and hope that other people do too. That's cool if that's part of your values. We celebrate that. It also includes, I prefer reading to seeing the next Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Those are both forms of values. And it's not that reading is like intrinsically better. It's just you may prefer it, and that is, that is a value for you. But if you're not in touch with your own values, it's going to be very hard for you to say yes in a way that's true to who you are as a person and say no to opportunities or invitations or whatever, they're not a particularly good fit. Let's look at one other aspect. You said that you wanted to to try and be helpful to people. You can't help everybody. Yeah, You do not have the ability to help everyone who needs help or even to help everybody who's going to kind of inject themselves into your world and either ask or imply that they would like your assistance. You don't have that. You don't have the money. You don't have the time. You don't have the expertise. None of us do. And so, again, the more that you can be in touch with your values and with your giftedness, the things you're good at, the things you're not good at. And here we're really describing humility. We're, we're describing having a sense of who you are, how you tick, what you're good at, what you're not. The more you have a sense of those things, the more strategically you can say yes, the more strategically you can say no. And that's what we want for you. We want decisions that aren't driven by guilt. They aren't driven by shame. They aren't driven by obligation. They're driven by you having a clear sense of who you are, of your values, and making strategic decisions on that basis.
0: I think it's a fantastic place to start that off. And it really gets to the heart of one of the things that I think people are concerned about when they are thinking about kind of. Using their no more, and one which we talked a lot on the show is that idea of uh, setting boundaries with people directly, and we've we talked about that a lot. Again, you'll have to say no to someone, but the other one, and Leah, love to get to pick us up here, is the idea of not being open to opportunities. I go through life, and I get invited to something, or I see someone with a flat tire, and I, you know, help them out, and a lot of things that you could say yes to that are very um, romanticized in the telling of the story. You know, oh, I. I was walking down the street one day and saw this person or saw this thing. And now it's, it's a magical life changing experience stuff. And that certainly happened. And that's cool. But I, I think as Jed is pointing out here, we, maybe there's a tendency to over romanticize the, I'm, I was just kind of being blown along by the wind as opposed to, uh, the reality, which is you do have to make uh, decisions in your own life with your, uh, limited resources. Right.
2: Yeah, that that's that is a really really good way to set that up and I completely agree with where Jed is coming from on all of that stuff and, and 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 the word limitations is the perfect thing to add to this. Jed ended his response talking about humility and that's the other thing that you have to factor into this. The the thing is is that you actually there are some places where you do want to say yes. Well, you are going to be more effective when you do say yes if you are operating within your own Limitations. Yep. If you push yourself and say yes to everything, then the things that you do actually care about that you are gifted to help out in and that you would actually make an impact in, that, that impact would be completely mitigated if you don't have any energy or resources because you literally say yes to everything. Um, so one of the things that we do have to consider is that whatever your station in life is and whatever your relationships like the web of your relationships look like you actually probably do have some obligations and you do have some responsibilities, Um, some places where if somebody needs help, you actually do have to pretty much have to say yes. In that situation, depending on what relationships you're in, like for instance, if you have children and stuff like that. Now, of course um you know, depending on the situation with your parents or if you 're if you 're dating or married to somebody or something like that depending on the situation where you work um with coworkers and the team that you 're on that kind of thing, you may have some actual actual responsibilities and obligations where your the the yeses that you have to give would actually overlap the yeses that you want to give um it 's important that you know those things um so Christy and I have three children. Um, if there's a problem with one of those three children, everything else shuts down until we take care of that problem. That's not a situation where we're parsing out. Do we say yes, um, to, to handling this, this request we're doing it now. It, it's very convenient that, that, uh, that, you know, that the thing that we want to say yes to there is something that we also have to say yes to. You've got to know those things so that you can handle, um, the discernment and the judgment over over what are my limitations, what resources do I have, what time do I have, what energy do I have, all of this feeds back into that thing that Jeb was saying about the humility of knowing yourself, knowing what bandwidth you have available, knowing what time you have available, knowing what are the actual obligations and responsibilities where I pretty much have to say yes if this person needs my help. But all of that strategy and all of that self-knowledge, all of that stuff is actually a really, really good thing because, like I started out with, when you actually know all that stuff, then when you do say yes, you get to say yes with the knowledge of like, I'm actually going to make an impact here because I have the energy, I have the time, I have the resources, I have the giftedness, I have the experience to actually make a huge impact When I do say yes, I think, and I think it's important that we talk about the emotional aspect of this for a second. I think that what it comes down to is you feel bad. It feels bad to say no to somebody. And there's not really a whole lot that we can say where we can flip the switch on you're not like, you're not gonna feel that thing. One thing I would say is, I think. If, if, if that's p- a piece of the puzzle here, it's like I feel bad when I have to say no to somebody who needs my help. Um, I would say about you, that's a really cool thing about you. You have a lot of compassion for people. You want to help people. That's, that's a really cool thing. You can recognize that about yourself and at the same time process that emotion with, the, with all of this knowledge that we're trying to arm you with of like, and yet – when I am strategic about my yes and my no, I actually have a bigger impact. I actually make a bigger difference in the world. Um, like that knowledge, it's not going to make you automatically never feel bad about saying no again. We don't have the power to do that. But the more that you understand the truth of the situation, what it takes to help and what it takes to make an impact, you can process the fact that, like, emotionally, I feel bad saying no. I don't like the way it feels to say no. And yet, I know enough about the world, I know enough about myself, I know enough about these experiences that if I say no here, I'm going to have a a, a greater impact when I do get to say yes down the road.
0: I think that's another great, great point. And one thing that I think is really worth bringing out uh, to build on what Lee said there is sometimes, especially in like Christian circles, there can be this weird, like, we're not supposed to enjoy helping people too much. Cause it's about it's supposed to be about them, not about you. Like you're not supposed to get like some kind of ego thrill out of, out of helping people and doing things to people. And certainly, you know, there's, you can take the, the ego part of that too far, but it, it, it should be pleasant to help people for the most part, especially as Lee's saying, if there are people you're not like legally or some other way, familiarly obligated to help, like there's nothing wrong with, Um, you know, I was, I saw some, an old lady who was, had a flat tire on the side of the road and I helped her out and she was really thankful. And I felt good about myself. Like there's nothing wrong with feeling good about yourself. That that's a a great time to feel good about yourself. Um, but I think that can, can warp too much into, as, and we discussed this on the show many times, the idea that the, that there has to be some kind of suffering and some kind of ego death in doing anything like pushing through that moment of, oh, I really don't want to do that. Like that seems inconvenient or this person has been kind of like not cool to me when I've tried to help them out in the past, or whatever, like the Christianization of the idea that those are the really, really holy opportunities. Um, eh, we would not agree with that. I mean, Occasionally, definitely there are, you know, called to be, you know, nice someone who's a pain in the butt to, you or, You know, you, you really, it is the right thing to do. So, you know, you know, you got to drive across town at 2 a.m. to help your buddy do whatever. Um, that sounded like you're helping them do something illegal. Um, no to, uh, you know, you know, a tree fell on their house and you've got a, whatever it is, an inconvenient time, nothing wrong with pushing through that being inconvenienced, but we don't have to seek that out. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with having that boundary to say, you know, I love, I like to help people out where I can, and I love to, to do what I can, but this is just beyond
1: that reach. And Jed, one more thing to add to that, just to build on exactly what you're saying I want to, I want to plant a seed for you to think about, I, I don't want to encourage you to try this right away, but I want to plant a seed for you to think about, which is to say, one of the things in the future you can look at is being able to give a partial yes. If you're struggling with the idea of, of being able to say no, don't try to do this right away. But as you get more comfortable saying no, there's a lot of things where you can give a partial yes. Somebody comes to you and they're like, man, I got to move. I got to move my stuff. I need your help. You need to come help me move. Uh, you say, okay, well, when are you moving? This, this Saturday, 7 a.m. The beauty of the partial yes is saying, I can't do that. I've got other obligations, but if it's still useful at 2 p.m. on Saturday, I'd be happy to swing by for an hour and help with what remains. Right. Now, a few things have happened when you offer this. The first is you found a thing that you're able to offer and to offer as a cheerful giver. This is something that you can give, you feel good about, you're not overextending yourself, you're not um, violating your boundaries. But you're also, in a sense, giving an opportunity back to that person um, because they now have a moment to decide, am I open to a plan other than the one that I've suggested? And it's really revealing how many people are looking for help, but only the specific help that they have in mind and nothing else. That's really good to know. Alternately, are we looking at a situation where they've got a decent plan and they've basically got it covered and the help that you could offer, well, isn't help that would be particularly useful, in which case, no harm, no foul, but it's actually still a comfort to them that you are able to offer something. Um, Getting to a place where you're comfortable and good at offering the partial yes is a really important skill to develop. Again, if you're a place where saying no, at all feels hard, don't worry about that for now, but put that as, as something to consider for the future. With these opportunities, is there a kind of yes I could feel good about And putting that out there, both as something where I'm comfortable giving it and also as a bit of a test on where is this person really coming from with this request?
2: One thing that I would add on, that's all awesome. And one thing I would add onto the end of this, which is something I wish, uh, I, I wish it was a cultural thing when I was growing up. It was not. And I wish somebody had told me when I was, you know, 17, 18, 22, which no one did, is it's okay to tell, when you do tell someone no or you do tell them a partial yes, it's okay to not give every exhaustive detail about why you can't do exactly what they wanted you to do. Yep. You don't have to actually provide the, the full gamut of these are the errands I have to run and this is the reason that I can't be there until 2 p.m. And these are the reasons that I can only stay for an hour. You can just say, I can come at 2 and I can stay for an hour. Um, and even if somebody's like, "Well, why can't you come in the morning?" You can say, "I can't make it in the morning, but I can make it too, and I can stay for an hour." Um, or like Jed said, I have other obligations. You, like culturally and emotionally, we feel like, "Well, I have to, I have to prove myself, and I have to give a, a rock solid defense of why I can't do exactly." You don't have to at all. And emotionally, for some folks, that feels. A little strange, and it feels a little difficult. But I would highly suggest trying it out. You don't have to over-explain yourself. You can just say, "This is what I will do."
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things, if you've been in a in a place in your life where you've been kind of uh, the term might be a people pleaser, or you really have well, you can't say no. Is that idea that any kind of no puts you in the defensive if you have to justify it, and you have to here's my doctor's note for why I can't be there at seven a.m. and <laughs> Again, yeah. different relationship in a different context. Yes, if you want to uh, not show up at work and still get paid for that day, you may have to provide documentation. That's right. a pretty pretty fair turn. If you're if you can't be somewhere at 7 a.m. on a Saturday for any reason, up to and including, I really don't want to do that. That sounds awful. <laughs> That's fine. And we talk, you know, a lot about kind of the litmus tests of how someone deals with something. Um I I know everyone on this show has has experienced it um sometimes we've had this conversation between people on the show but there's a a deep level of friendship and intimacy when you can look someone in the eye and say i don't want to do that (laughs) i appreciate the invite or the you know I, i i appreciate that you like a game night or that you want to go for a run or whatever and i'm 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 thrilled and i love you as a person i don't want to do that um we can do something else yeah And it's, it's not a bad thing. It is a good thing. And it is a a good muscle to work out when you can. And these guys gave you some great tips for how to get started on that. We're moved to our second question here. It comes in and follows some of the themes of the emergency says with the Mm -hmm. SBC abuse scandal, joining the Hillsong one and all the others, is there anything to learn from this? What can an individual do to help stop this from happening in the future? Another great question. And you know, we, um, we've obviously talked about this in in a couple of instances, but uh, one of the reasons I want to talk about this particular aspect of it on the show. And I think I was glad this question came in is there can be that, that kind of overwhelmingness of, well, apparently everything's just awful. Yeah. And everybody who has ever, uh, you know, portrayed themselves as to, as some kind of authority figure is a nightmare person or willing to put up with nightmare people to keep pulling a paycheck, which eh, one can argue that's no morally better. But some of that does filter down into, is there anything to do? Is there anything to learn from it? Is there any way to move forward from an individual basis? Now, we're talking about individuals and us Mm. on the show. I I hope to God, you listening, who are not directly uh, affected by the abuse in these churches, just as people who are in the wider kind of Christian world and trying to navigate their feelings towards institutions and faith and all that stuff. And it really, and we have talked about this in the show, where it really can help to have some kind of takeaway or action item or thing to think through so that you don't just get caught up in the anger and the despair, which is super easy to do because there's a lot of it to go around. But I really like this question about trying to find some kind of takeaway, some kind of, of personal path forward. And Jed, where do we start off here?
1: Well, I, I'm going to give you my opinion. You don't, you don't have to go with me on any of this, but it's, it's what I think and, and consider it food for thought. Something very smart that Lee has said in the past that I want to begin with is that any pastor at any church, there's a fundamental choice. Is this person a servant or is this person a big deal? You can't be both. There's actually there's not enough time in the day to be both. So is this person fundamentally trying to figure out what the people in their church need and be a servant to those needs? Or are they trying on some level to be a celebrity, a deep thinker, a, a media personality? And the reason – this matters for a lot of reasons, but but one of the reasons that it matters is that if we're going in kind of the celebrity direction, uh, we're giving that person power. And as yeah. you may know the old phrase, power corrupts. Uh, when we give people power and celebrity and influence and money and accolades, they tend to abuse it. And that's not – every person with power all the time – But it's enough of a trend to have a handy maxim that goes along with it. I think it's also worth looking at, dude, you've got enough celebrities in your life. Like, you're surrounded by celebrities everywhere you go. You don't have very many servants in your life. Um, you, You need someone who's trying to figure out how to be a servant to the needs you have in your life. And so, like, I think you owe it to yourself to find a pastor where that's actually the case. But regardless, if we're doing the celebrity thing, if we're doing the pastor's a pretty big deal we are playing with fire there, um, and, and that's because power corrupts, man. There's, there's just – there's no way around that. The Bible doesn't use that exact phrase, but it, it says repeatedly things that point in the exact same direction. Um, it says repeatedly that uh, we should be very careful what we aspire to and that aspiring to a quiet life and working with our hands is a good idea. Yep. Here's the second side of this. Again, I'm not a church pastor. You don't have to agree with me. This is just my opinion but it is my opinion. Any environment where we create a caste system, any environment where we take away people's agency, any environment where we say we've got one group of people who are cool and legit and another group of people who are not, we are creating an environment that is more prone to abuse than it would be otherwise. I'll give you an example. If you decided that one gender of people had less ability less worthiness, didn't belong as much, couldn't do the same things, shouldn't be around. You've created a caste system. You may have all the Bible verses in the world, and you do you, man. I'm not a pastor, but you have created a caste system by doing that. When you create a caste system, you have created an environment that is more likely to result in abuse. The truth is we live on a deeply messed up world, on a deeply fallen planet, and it is unlikely unfortunately that we will eradicate all forms of abuse in all places at all times. That that is unfortunately probably true. But that doesn't in any way mean that we shouldn't try and get that number as low as humanly Amen. possible, as low as divinely possible. And so let us look at the things that lead to abusive behavior. Again the two that I would look at is Celebrity is a form of power and power corrupts. And again, the second is when we create a caste system, when there are the cool people and the not cool people, when there are the people that are legit and the people that are not legit, when there are the people that are acceptable and the people that are not acceptable, we are creating an environment that is far more likely to result in abuse. And actually, I'll give you another example that doesn't have to do with gender. Um, with the Hillsong thing, there were obviously horrific sexual abuses there, but one of the things that was happening in places like New York was a caste system based on how cool you were. Um, it's hard to put that, you know, exactly, exactly in words, but think of it this way. You've got the people who will definitely be let into the swanky nightclub and the people who probably won't be let into the swanky nightclub. And that was a clear division, a clear caste system within Hillsong New York and the people that weren't on the cool side of it were massively mistreated they had expectations placed on them that other people didn't get they were expected to basically function like slaves and the thing about it is this is a caste system you have created some people that are good and some people that are less good when we do that that has the propensity to wind up in abuse if you combine those two things if you combine we've got this one guy who's got all this power and celebrity and he's really amazing And then we've got a bunch of losers over here who aren't as cool as the rest of us. If you put those two things together, you're really, really likely to wind up with something that's really not cool. Find a church that doesn't do those two things.
0: Yes, if your church has a VIP seating section or a green room, no hard and fast rules, but I would say take a pass on both of those. And Lee, I love where uh, Jeff started us off, and I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think, one, I agree with everything you said, and also... He's pointing to there's some things that going on here that are actually not unique to churches. Um, It can be very easy and I don't fault anyone for doing it of trying to find like theological reasons or spiritual reasons for these happenings. And heck, maybe they're there. I don't know anything about that, but I know that uh, these large institutions like a Hillsong or Southern Baptist convention are behaving an awful lot like large institutions like governments and colleges and big companies, so maybe there's a, a thread to be pulled out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, humongous institutions that have a lot of money and have a lot of influence will be corrupt. Um, it's I'm ringing the same bell that, that, that Jed did, but when you have a lot of money, um, then you have a lot of people answering to you. And so now you have influence and power, and all of a sudden, you're the stuff. Um, you're the stuff that you're the person that people have to listen to. You're the person that people have to give answers to. You're the person that gets to call shots and you're the important one. And all of that, it, it just, it's like you said, it's not just in churches, but it's in governments. It is in corporations. It's in, it's in sports teams. It's in just businesses. I mean, look, you start throwing a lot of money around. And all that money centers on a few people, and those people now have power and influence. All of a sudden, we're going to have corruption. Um, Specifically in the church, uh, Jed spoke to this a little bit, but the whole idea of the patriarchy has just been evil from the beginning. It has just been an absolute disaster. And and that's right in the face of, you know, like the Apostle Paul saying in Galatians chapter 3, in Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile, no, no slave nor free, no male or female. All in Christ are one. Everybody's the same now. Um, and by the way, like the word Gentile, it just, it's in Greek, it's just the word ethne. It's the ethnicities. All, all the ethnicities are the same. All of the genders are the same. Everybody's the same now. Um, no matter what your job is, no matter what your background is, no matter who you are, everybody is the same. Everybody has equal status, and until we can get to a to a, an understanding of this egalitarian nature of the kingdom of God, then there will then we will reflect the rest of the the places in the world that have these kinds of corrupt systems. Um, I I was reading an article recently that said um, it was a prediction that. The place where healthy church communities are going to go is living room churches, smaller um, localized neighborhoods in friendships Um, that people that, that that's the kind of religious experience that people are tracking with that they care about, that they are investing in is like a smaller group of people that I know and trust that, that care about being open with each other and doing something together. Um I think that kind of I think that kind of mindset is an incredibly powerful and effective idea. Um I'm not telling everybody to start a living room house church. What I am saying is um you don't have to go to a big one. And not only do you not have to go to a big one, you should definitely go to one where you can one know the leaders Two, um, leading looks a whole lot like just doing the grunt work that everybody else does. Leading is not being amazing, being fond over, being popular and powerful. Leading is, like Jed said, serving people and taking care of them. Uh, Three, a place where you can see the budget and you are not grossed out about what you see. Those are the important things that you want to be on the lookout for. I want to look for a small place. I want to be able to see the budget. I want to know who is supposedly leading this thing. I want those to be people that I can know and trust, and I want their leading to look a whole lot like serving and caring for people and not being cool and being amazing and being powerful and throwing their weight around
0: absolutely I, th- I think one of the things that can be taken from this on both a a person on a personal individual level from both a when you 're looking for churches when you 're looking at whatever institutions in your life are I think we have some red flags that are enough commonality to be notable. And one is exactly what Leah is saying there. And this could be a church, could be a school, it could be a, a neighborhood association, could be whatever. If there is someone insists that you, the rabble have to be super accountable to them, the leadership and have no interest in reciprocity of that accountability. I think the money thing that uh, Lee brought up there is great Uh, because we, we talked about that like insane church in North Carolina with like the lady would come tell you how to decorate your house and all that stuff. And it was the thing about like, you have to give 10% and Jane was her name. will occasionally like audit your bank to make sure. And that's an extreme example, but there's plenty of churches that make you sign like a tithing pledge or they, as Jed has pointed out many times in the show, There are churches that hire consulting firms and know what the average income in your area is and know about what you should be giving if you're giving 10% of that. And we'll give the the couple of sermons a year about how everybody's got to dig deep and da-da-da-da. Now, I don't like any of that on its face, and that, that would be enough to drive me off. But here's the thing, to Lee's point, if they want to be very, very involved in what you do with your money, but you don't get to ask questions about what they do with their money... That's a real real game breaker right there mm-hmm. we we've seen that enough in any number of things you know if pastor wants to give a sermon about uh his uh, what you should do with your sex life, you should be able to and we you know we have to live in a in a society and have some taste here, but that dude should be able to answer some questions about his own marriage and be honest yeah. about his own history and some things because he's telling you how to do it so we have to reflect back on this. That's only, only fair. And as these guys are pointing out, that's both a personal thing of the kind of person who wants to be on a mic on some level. It's also, there are some institutional things of that just kind of, isn't a interaction that can happen if there's 5,000 people in this church. Right. Um, it's, so we have personal and structural, uh, things working together. Another big one is, as both these guys pointed out with kind of the patriarchy stuff and the sexism stuff, like, um, call it complementarianism, call it a uh, biblical, whatever. Like, nah, if you, if your thing is misogyny, like I don't trust your church anymore. Yeah. Like we just, whether it's the Mormon, uh, the, uh, the Catholic church, the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, the Southern Baptist church, uh, Christian colleges where a lot of this has happened, whatever. Um, we, we've seen where uh, patriarchal nonsense leads and it is, uh, pretty much always involves some horrifying abuse. So like, No, I don't care if you as Jed but I don't care if you got a Bible verse. I don't care uh, what Charles Spurgeon said about something, something. However long ago, like no, this is we have seen enough of a repeated pattern that I'm I'm fully willing to just uh, you know there's there's people in the world who if I see that they have like certain tattoos or you know are dressed certain way, I will cross the street because I have seen enough of the people who have those who have those signals that. I'm just not playing, I'm playing the odds now. I'm not saying everybody who is a complimentarian or writes an article for the gospel coalition about whatever is going to be an abuser. That's, that's way out there. That's not something we're saying, but those cultures seem to breed a, an outcome. And that's, I think you're well within your uh, rights and the rights of what you have observed to make some decisions based on red flags that have, been occurring over and over. And here's the thing. Some people might say that's being unfair to certain faith traditions and certain cultures and certain churches, maybe, but, um, there, there's a risk in being fair. Apparently like you don't have to give everyone a fair shot, especially when it comes to people who are asking for some kind of position of authority and power over you. Um, you actually do have every right to be super duper picky about that up to and including, this gives me a, va- a bad vibe. I am out. That's, yep. that's a very reasonable thing. I would say that's a godly thing, and we would encourage you that you, you don't have to, uh, to make a, a logical airtight case if something uh, gives you the creeps in those particular ways. All right, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, God doesn't have needs because he's perfect, right? So why does he care if we worship him? Another very cool
1: question. I like the angle
0: on that. And Jed, where do we start off?
1: I want you to think for a second about your buddy that smokes a lot of weed. We've all had that buddy. And here's the thing that's really, in a sense, charming, sometimes annoying, but, but often charming about your weed buddy is he can't shut up about weed. Like, he talks about weed all the time. You can also inject your CrossFit buddy here because it's in many ways the same thing, but your your weed buddy wants to talk about weed. He wants to tell you how great it is. He wants to encourage you to consider the weed lifestyle. He loves him some weed, and he doesn't mind telling you so.
0: The only way these people, this person, isn't incredibly tedious, is if your weed buddy is also your CrossFit buddy. that's <laughs> actually like okay. If you get super blazed and then go like put on the weighted vest and run sprints, that's that's the only way to make either one of those things interesting to talk about. <laughs>
1: Well said. Okay, so here's the thing about your weed buddy is he actually does understand something important, which is part of enjoying things is praising them. Mm. Part of enjoying things is talking about them and getting into what you love about them. Um and this is not in any way an original idea to me. It's also not an original idea to the person that I'm about to to read to you from, but it's it he doesn't use the phrase "weed buddy" because he's far more erudite than I am so this is from the the much overquoted c s lewis he,
0: I believe he would refer to someone as a pipe buddy, probably
1: probably so. <laughs> Uh, but but this is actually really good stuff. We're, we're going to read it together. This comes originally, I think, from his reflections on the Psalms. And you, you may have heard some of this before, but uh, this is Lewis writing. He says, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I've never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise, lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, etc., etc., etc. We'll skip on a bit, brother. <laughs> I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment it is its appointed consummation it is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are the delight is incomplete till it is expressed mm. and i think that if you can dig it i i can't speak for all of the weird stuff you've heard in church that had the words praise and worship attached to it cuz i suspect you've heard a lot of really weird stuff that's not really based on anything but here's been my experience is God has been really cool to me. He's been really kind to me. He's he's really been there for me. I think he'd love for me to enjoy that fact. I think he'd love for me to savor that fact. I think he would love for me to really just uh j- just dig in deep and really just just, you know, soak that into my being. And I think he'd like that because anyone who's giving you a gift would want that. Anyone who's taken the time to, to, to find and purchase and transport and get you a gift would like for you to enjoy the ever-loving snot out of it. In fact, that's kind of an interesting case study is that a person who gives you a gift and doesn't care if you enjoy it, they don't really care much about this to begin with. We, we've all had to get some kind of something for Aunt Mildred for the Christmas party, and we don't really care if she likes it or not. It's just a, a social function we've got to do. But you've gotten a gift for someone before where you cared about the person and you cared about the gift, and the thing you most want is for them to enjoy it, for yeah. them to just be blown away by that gift and just love it. We've all, I think, had that experience. And what Lewis is saying and what our weed buddy teaches us is that The end, the culmination, the consummation, the living out of enjoyment is when we talk about it, when we say it out loud. Um, Before we started recording, I got on this phone call and I was telling these gentlemen about driving through um, uh, Western North Carolina, which is one of the prettiest places that I've ever seen in my life. This wasn't meant to be an exchange of factual information. They've both spent more time in Western Carolina than I have. So it's it's not like that. The point was. I got to enjoy it all over again by talking about how great it was. God wants you to enjoy all the kindness that he's poured into your life, but to enjoy it the most, you have to talk about it. To enjoy it the most, you have to express it. To enjoy the most, you have to say it out loud. And he really super cares about your enjoyment. It's not about his ego. He knows he's cool. He cares about (laughs) your enjoyment. That's what this is all about.
0: A really, really great place to start that off, and Lee, where do we take it?
1: I
2: loved the statement. He knows he's cool, and I know we're talking about God here, but I couldn't not think about my thirteen-year-old son, and um, <laughs> when...
0: <laughs> the spark of the divine that's in all of us shows in different ways. And I think that's that's a fair assessment of Jacks.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The the swagger with which he walks through the house. I mean, he'll he'll walk away from a mirror, and and. uh and then he'll call out to me somewhere in the house. He's like, "Bro, check out my hair right now," <laughs> <laughs> and and he's like, "Right?" And I'm like, "You look good, dude." He's like, "I know." Um, yeah, I I can't. You know, it's it's a really interesting thing. I loved this question, and I love Jed Jed's response, and I think it's exactly right on. And you know, I, I cannot speak to like the theological, um, you know, paradox of. The needless God, like shamelessly asking for us to sing a lot of praise to him. Like what you you don't need anything, but you are asking us to to provide this thing for you a lot, a lot. And and my answer is, I have no idea. I, I don't know why um someone who's needless shamelessly asks for something to be given to him so, so much. Um, I do think there's just an emotional element of of like. He loves to be loved back. Um, he loves to be responded to. Um, he enjoys um, being loved. And I, I don't agree with. Um, this is one of those weird moments where, like, you know, the 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 what is it? The the Westminster Catechism or whatever is not the Bible. So I can disagree with it if I want to. You can write in, and uh, we we won't respond to it. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> as a statement of just you know a good policy assume we disagree with the english unless otherwise stated
2: <laughs> well yeah and so th- there's something in the in the uh westminster confessional that says um that that god is has no passions god has no emotions um i don't know how anybody could read the bible and say that nope yeah there's just no again there's... the
0: english
1: <laughs> yeah that's yes, the most exactly.
0: English take on anything I've ever heard. It's good, yeah. therefore devoid of in of emotion and passion
1: <laughs> right at the great wedding banquet of the Lamb, all the food has been cooked until gray <laughs> <laughs> it has been boiled all of it <laughs>
2: um yeah, so i look you can't you can't read that book without saying that that God has ex extremely big feelings. Um, and he he likes being loved back, man. And so that's, that's a piece of this. One of the coolest things I ever heard um, as a as a co-host on this podcast was a really, really early episode where Jeb was responding to a question and said, you need to ask yourself, and I've used this stolen it a thousand times since then, you need to ask yourself the question, what kind of a dude is God? Um, he's an emotional dude. He, he has big feelings. And um, so I think part of it is, he he likes to be loved back the other thing is um he knows it's good for me emotionally and relationally to sing to like there's a thing about singing there's a thing about praise expressing praise especially in performing or 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 being a part of a communal setting of music that like you're going for it like I'm not just saying this is good. Like we're going for it. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I'm I'm going off. Um when my my one of my favorite things about doing prison ministry is the moment right before like my my uh my pastor Tom gives me the the look from the side of the room, which means he wants me to start the service. And I jump into the microphone and I say, Does anybody hear? want to sing to Jesus Christ and the room explodes like an atom bomb has just gone off because yes, they really, really do. And they want to go for it. And there's something like I always get so much benefit out of going for it, out of praising. And I don't always feel like doing it before I do it. I don't always want to do it before I do it. I almost always get a really good benefit out of going for it, out of, out of, Praising the Lord for his goodness, for his kindness, for his thoughtfulness, for his pursuit and for his faithfulness, for all of those things, for just remembering who he is and how he's been. And that's the thing that's that's just true of a like a good parent is somebody who encourages encourages you to do something that will be good for you. Um that's a really big part of parenting is Okay, I know nobody wants to, but we're going on a walk. Everybody, let's go on a walk together. We're going to have conversation, and it's going to be good. And, you know, there's long faces, and there's and there's disagreement and everything. And at the end of that walk, everybody's glad they went, and it was good. It was good for us. And there's, and there's just kind of a good aspect of parenting that is like, I'm going to encourage you to do a thing that you may not want to right now, but it's going to be good for you. So I think he likes it, and I think that – um and I think he encourages us to be a part of and to do things that he knows will be good for us and, and will benefit us.
0: Absolutely right. I think those are amazing answers. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. We're going to keep that entirely anonymous. We're going to take out this song this week. This is from our friends in the Deacons Division. we gonna take on Be Thou My Vision, a very cool track. Hey, with that, thanks for listening. To we love you, God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
1: Hands like Magneto, came to the earth, crossed death like Kyrie, they got up off the grave like Michael in 83. Do you believe, do you believe, like people dying overseas? Do you believe, do you believe, like people dying the disease? Is he bigger than your thoughts, than your fame, or your marriage? Bigger than your looks, than your muscles, or your damage? How do you respond when you're back up against the wall? People look at you stupid, and piety seeming small. Questions I gotta ask, looking into the mirror, because life can be toxic if you don't have a liver.
2: She goes, so I'm not seeking treasure like the renter on Lambo.
0: I got me a trust fund, because I can trust one. In control of everything, go on now and say his name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, he started at the bottom, now we he here. To be clear, he's the Lord and King of everything.
1: Jesus can't do anything. On it all, call it all. Jesus be my Lord of all. All asleep in the
2: middle of a fire fight Never like arrows, never like lies Never like
1: guilt-shake fear, supersize But the looky he be a hunter through his spirit and his words So you know i stand my ground in this war to save the world